Welcome to Farmer Talk Radio. I'm Danny McCarthy. In this podcast, I'm speaking with Frank Bennett, PhD, the Executive Vice President and Chief Scientific Officer at Ionis Pharmaceuticals and one of the founding members of the company. Today, he'll be speaking with me about spinal muscular atrophy and Ionis' treatment for it, the therapy Spinraza. Welcome, Dr. Bennett. Thank you, Danny. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. So I thought we would start off our conversation by just getting to know you a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and your previous work? Uh, sure. Yeah, uh, I guess I was uh, uh, started off as a pharmacist uh, uh, working in the hospital pharmacy and then decided to go on to graduate school. And, and I trained as a molecular pharmacologist at Baylor College of Medicine. And um, uh, after completing my PhD there, I, I did a postdoctoral fellowship at a, a large pharmaceutical company. At the time, it was uh, SmithKline French Labs, which is now GlaxoSmithKline. And uh, I, I worked there for a few years and then um, uh, was hired on as a, a, st- a staff scientist. Um, um, and I stayed at uh, uh, SmithKline French for a few more years uh, after then and then moved to Ionis Pharmaceuticals, where I was one of the founding scientists and have been working at Ionis uh, at the time it was called Isis Pharmaceuticals. Uh, for uh, uh, I've been there for 31 years where I've had uh, multiple roles in the company, starting off as a bench scientist. And uh, as the company grew, I took on more and more uh, management responsibilities and uh, uh, you know, helped run a, a variety of uh, uh, drug discovery programs as well as uh, research programs developing the, the technology that Ionis uh, 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 uses. And what uh, disease areas does Ionis focus on? Ionis is focused on technology uh, called antisense technology, which is uh, uh, using synthetic oligonucleotides to uh, target RNA. And uh, once they bind to RNA, they modulate the RNA function in a variety of different uh, ways. Um, So we don't really have a therapeutic focus. Uh, What we're really focused on is identifying what diseases uh, and what target tissues are most amenable to antisense technology and really trying to exploit the technology where it works well. Uh, currently, we have uh, uh, large research programs in uh, cardiovascular uh, medicine, uh, uh, metabolic disease, in particular diabetes, and our neurology uh, franchise is also uh, probably our largest franchise in, in, in the company. Uh, we also have uh, programs focused on a number of rare, uh, rare diseases uh, outside of neurology. And and, uh, uh, and finally, the one area that uh, uh, we are also working in is uh, oncology or cancer. And so one of those rare diseases is spinal muscular atrophy. And in 2019, you were a co-recipient in life sciences for your contributions to the discovery and development of Spinraza, which is a treatment for uh spinal muscular atrophy, and I wondered if you could kind of take us through what the disease is. Sure. Uh, Spinal muscular atrophy is a severe uh, neurodegenerative disease that uh, at the time we started working on it was the number one genetic cause of uh, uh, infant death um, uh, 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 at the time. Is a uh, disease that primarily affects motor neurons. Those are the uh, uh, cells that innervate muscle. And <clears throat> one way to think about it is that uh, you're unplugging uh, the the electrical connection to muscle so that the muscle no longer uh, functions. 
and in its most severe form, uh, which unfortunately is about half the, the patients that are born with uh, spinal muscular atrophy, it results in deaths uh, uh, generally within uh, one to two years of life. Uh, so it's a very severe uh, disease. It is degenerative, so the disease progresses. Uh, 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 patients get worse uh, as they age. Uh, there are less severe forms of the disease, and I can get into uh, mechanism behind that, but the, the less severe forms of the, of the disease, um, uh, children uh, with, with, uh, who are born with what's called type 2 uh, spinal muscular atrophy are able to sit, and, um, uh, but they uh, are unable to walk. And the least severe form of the disease, which accounts for about 10 to 20% of the, the patients born with spinal muscular atrophy, are able to walk, but as they age and go through puberty and start putting on a lot of weight, the muscles really can't keep up with the uh, uh, stress on them, and, and they end up, uh, most of them end up being in uh, wheelchairs at, uh, at some point during their life. The disease is caused by a mutation in a, a gene called survival motor neuron or SMN. And um, um, that gene is involved in RNA processing and uh, seems to be uh, critical in particular for motor neurons to, to provide uh, um, a, a survival or health to the motor neurons. And it's not well understood today why uh, the loss of this SMN uh, protein uh, results in uh, a vulnerability of motor neurons, but it's, it's well recognized that they're probably the most vulnerable tissue uh, 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 to the loss of the SMN protein. If you could give us some numbers, how many people are affected by this disease? Yeah, so the SMA is uh, roughly about 1 in 10,000 births are uh, due to SMA, or we'll have SMA. It's a recessive gene, so both parents have to have a uh, uh, loss of the SMN1 uh, gene, and um, the prevalence in the, the world's population is about 1 in 10,000 births. It does not seem to have any uh, geographical uh, hotspots, uh, uh, so it, it can occur across the world uh, with, with that incidence. And as I said, uh, about half of those births are the most severe form of the disease, which is called type 1 SMA, where they uh, mm -hmm. historically would die uh, before they reach two years of age. For people experiencing SMA, what were treatments like before Spinraza? So basically, they're palliative. Uh, there were no treatments before Spinraza. Uh, there was mm -hmm. a... a Improvements in standard of care where they would uh, put them on respiratory support uh, uh, early uh, to uh, help them breathe uh, more effectively. Uh, a lot of prophylaxis when, you know, particularly this time of the year during the flu season, uh, cold season, to prevent them from getting secondary infections. But it was really mostly support. And, uh, you know, before Spinraza, uh, basically if you had a, a child with type 1 SMA, uh, you were told to you know, take the, the child home and, and uh, uh, basically enjoy the little bit of time you're, you'll have with the child. Um, it really uh, was not a very optimistic future for uh, SMA patients at the time. Does SMA always present itself at birth, or can it occur later in life? No, so it, it generally occurs after birth. Um, so the most severe form of uh, SMA, which is the type 1, can occur uh, generally within 
a couple of weeks of life to uh, uh, six months of life. So that one does present pretty early in, in life. And what generally happens is a, a, a parent or grandparent oftentimes uh, will notice that the child doesn't seem to be developing uh, normally, that uh, they're not doing things that uh, you would expect a child to do. Uh, or, you know, they'll see uh, fasciculations in muscle or, or uh, you know, maybe the, their legs are weak, they're not able to hold uh, their legs up. Um, and that generally brings them into a pediatrician for uh, a, a consult, and then a pediatrician will recognize it and send them to a neurologist. The less severe forms of the disease, uh, uh, it can occur between two and, you know, five years of age. Um, um, Sometimes there is even a, a rare adult form of the disease where uh, it really doesn't present until um, early, you know, late teens, early 20s uh, uh, there. But majority of uh, children are diagnosed within uh, three years uh, of life. And today, uh, SMA is part of the newborn screening. And so the hope is that uh, uh, with newborn screening, you'll, you'll pick up patients before they ever develop symptoms and put them on therapy. Um, uh, and what we're finding is that if you do put them on therapy uh, uh, before they develop symptoms, they have uh, a fairly normal uh, uh, development. Uh, they hit all their motor milestones within time windows that uh, children should be hitting those uh, motor milestones. Can you tell me how the therapy works? Yeah, so um, uh, the, as I mentioned, SMA is caused by a loss of a gene called uh, survival of motor neuron, or SMN. Uh, in humans, uh, there is a chromosomal duplication uh, within the region that SMN uh, lies. And uh, there's a second copy of the gene uh, called SMN2. And SMN2 differs from SMN1 by uh, roughly five to seven nucleotides. Uh, one of the nucleotides is a critical uh, 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 clue to what was going on in, in the disease in that it's a, um, a C to T transition. So it's a single base change that occurs within an exon and messes up the splicing that occurs in that exon so that, ex that exon that's normally um, uh, 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 included in the messenger RNA is skipped and you end up making a truncated protein uh, product. And about 80% of the RNA that comes off that gene is missing that critical exon. Whereas 20% uh, 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 contain that exon. And that was really one of the first clues to uh, mechanistically how we could approach this disease because that 20% of, of um, a protein that's coming off that's full-length, fully functional protein is what keeps these patients alive. And what was noticed is that genetically, uh, this is in a chromosomal region that's unstable, um, that uh, there are patients that have two copies of this SMN2, or some patients have three copies of this SMN2 gene because of gene duplication, or four copies, or uh, up to eight copies. And what was noticed is that there's a very good correlation between severity of the disease, excuse me, disease, and how many copies of this uh, uh, SMN2 gene they have. So the more copies of the gene you had, the less severe uh, um, uh, the disease is in, in those patients. And so what we've done is to design an antisense oligonucleotide. So these are synthetic uh, RNA-like molecules that we make uh, that is designed to bind to the SMN2 pre-messenger RNA, so before splicing has occurred. And 
what it does is uh, it uh, removes some negative uh, regulators, the splicing off the transcript or the RNA, so that you get uh, normal splicing to occur, making fully functional SMN protein. And so, in essence, what we're doing is increasing the expression of the SMN protein in a disease that, that's due to loss of this SMN protein. And it's really unique to SMA uh, because we have these two copies of the gene, that one that's mutated and you have loss of function, and this other one that's partially functional, and we're just I increasing the uh, function of this other uh, gene. How is Spinraza administered? So uh, antisense oligonucleotides are um, they're, they're not small molecules, they're not large molecules. We're sort of in between. They have a molecular weight of uh, six to uh, 8,000 molecular weight, and they're charged, they're polyanions. And so uh, these molecules do not cross an intact blood-brain barrier. And if you remember, I mentioned that we're trying to target motor neurons. And, and so we're administering the drug directly into the cerebral spine, spinal fluids. So that's the fluid that surrounds the brain and the spinal cord. And uh, this is done by what's called a lumbar puncture, uh, where you do a, 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 an infusion of the drug into the space that surrounds the, uh, uh, at, the at the base of the spine, uh, in, in uh, uh, a, a space that you have at the base of the spine. Um, and uh, the drug very rapidly diffuses from the, the cerebral spinal fluid into the brain tissue, and so you get very good distribution of the drug. Uh, into the neurons, um, as well as other cell types in the uh, spinal cord and, and brain tissue after this uh, lumbar puncture injection. So the procedure takes um, roughly 10 to 15 minutes, um, and uh, it's, it's done at, uh, initially because of the severity of the disease. There's a loading period where we dose uh, four doses uh, over two months, and then a maintenance uh, dosing is uh, every four months uh, dosing thereafter. What were some of the challenges that you and your team came across in creating a drug in a new indication? So there are several. One was uh, educating the regulatory authorities about the disease. And, and fortunately, we uh, partnered with uh, uh, patient foundations. And um, they, uh, uh, the foundations did a very good job of educating both the U.S. FDA as well as uh, international regulatory authorities about the disease, just so they understood it. Um, it, it is a rare disease, and uh, you know, not many of the uh, staff on the uh, regulatory agencies had had exposure to the disease, and so that was very important uh, for them to understand the disease and understand what the patient's uh, journey was like. Is um, understanding the natural history of the disease, and and there were some data that was more retrospective natural history um, that. Um, uh, really to document uh, what the disease progression was in these patients. And, and so um, be because that data was not um, uh, uh, well documented uh, in, in, in this patient population, it was a little bit hard to predict uh, what the clinical outcome was uh, for these patients. And when we started seeing some encouraging clinical data, uh, it wasn't clear whether that was due to um, kind of a placebo effect uh, of the drug, or we were really modifying the natural history of these patients. And so, uh, you know, the one thing that I, I wish we would have had is, is a better description of the natural history of the disease um, at the time we were doing these studies. Um, and 
that ultimately uh, resulted in us doing a, 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 a sham controlled study. So there were patients that were getting sham injections and some patients getting uh, actual drug injections. And uh, in a patient population uh, that was impacted as heavily as the type 1 SMA patients, that was a very emotional uh, uh, decision to go through. It was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, scientifically it's the most rigorous way to, to do a clinical study. Uh, but in this uh, patient population where we had, you know, some evidence that the drug may be working, um, it was uh, emotionally hard to not uh, provide the, the drug to all patients. And so um, both uh, our uh, employees that were part of the study, as well as investigators and their staff, uh, understood the scientific rigor and why we needed to do it. But emotionally, that was uh, you know, probably one of the hardest things that we all had to do uh, to advance this drug. But ultimately, um, um, we had built in an interim uh, analysis into the study where we had a chance to look at the data, and uh, fortunately, it was uh, extremely positive, and so we stopped the uh, sham control part of the study and were able to put all patients on active drug uh, at that point. Um, And, um, you know, the FDA, as well as the uh, other regulatory agencies, recognized the uh, impact of the drug on the patients uh, based on that study and very quickly approved the drug. It was um, uh, approved uh, three months after submitting uh, the uh, IND uh, to the U.S. So it's one of the fastest approvals by the FDA. You were speaking about uh, the two genes, the um, SNM1 and SNM2. Was that kind of, is that quite rare that there are two kind of interlocking or similar genes that you could rely on one when the other was not um, kind of operating correctly? Yeah, it, 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 it is. There are, um, I mean, there are other examples in the genome uh, of uh, chromosomal duplications that uh, result in duplicate copies of the gene. Um, but SMA is really a unique situation because there is a, a severe disease caused by loss of one of the genes and it gave us an opportunity to target the uh, uh, sort of partially functioning gene and making it fully uh, functional uh, as a way to go forward. I'm not aware of any other examples like that. Um, they're, 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 well, maybe. Uh, it's just I'm not aware of them at this point. And what is next for Spinraza and what is next for Ionis? So Spinraza has been uh, approved in over 50 countries, and there's still additional um, uh, uh, countries that uh, our partner Biogen is, is working to get approval on, um, and you know providing uh, uh, therapy to all patients who, who need it. The uh, other uh, study that Biogen has uh, initiated is, is to begin to explore higher doses of uh, Spinraza. Uh, we, uh, when we did the clinical studies, we identified a dose that was effective and safe. Uh, and, you know, these are children that we're working in, so we wanted to be really cautious as uh, uh, we were studying this drug that we didn't put the children in any harm. And so now that we have such a large body of ex- with the drug, a uh, question is if we start, if we use higher doses of the drug, could we even get better benefit uh, from, from the drug? And so our partners, Biogen, have started a, a clinical study uh, on, uh, on that drug. For Ionis, uh, you know, Spinraza was uh, really a transformational uh, drug for the company. It really highlighted uh, that antisense technology could be useful for treating neurological diseases. 
and it has emboldened us to more broad or to very broadly look at antisense technology for neurological diseases. We have uh, two drugs that are currently in phase three studies, one uh, targeting a, a genetic form of ALS that's showing very encouraging data similar to Spinraza. Uh, we have a second drug in phase three that's um, targeting Huntington's disease, uh, which again is an inherited uh, neurodegenerative disease. Uh, and uh, we, we have very encouraging data from that study as well. Um, that's opened up a, a broader pipeline thinking about uh, less rare diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease. And then a whole series of uh, uh, additional genetic uh, uh, diseases that we're working on. Um, and so we have a, a, a pipeline today of um, uh, roughly 10 drugs that are in development uh, uh, that target various neurological diseases and well over uh, uh, 30 drugs that are in our preclinical pipeline um, uh, of uh, uh, targeting a variety of uh, both rare and not so rare uh, neurological diseases. And if our listeners would like to learn more about either Spinraza or spinal muscular atrophy or just um, anything in the pipeline that you mentioned, is there any website or source of information you can leave our audience with? Uh, sure. They, uh, uh, there, there's two. So one is the, the, our corporate website, which is uh, ionispharma.com, ionispharma.com. Uh, you can learn more about other drugs that are in our pipeline as well as the clinical trials on the, those drugs and the, the technology behind Spinraza. Um, and then uh, Spinraza, uh, being an approved drug, also has its own website that if uh, patients uh, listening uh, are interested in learning more about the drug or, or uh, healthcare providers, uh, it's uh, spinraza.com uh, is the uh, website for the drug. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, thank you for listening. Dr. Frank Bennett is the Executive Vice President and Chief Scientific Officer at Ionis Pharmaceuticals. Again, those two websites are ionispharma.com and spinraza.com. For more information on PharmaTalk Radio's podcast, go to theconferenceforum.org. Dr. Bennett, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right. Have a nice day, everyone.